Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with a WWE Crown Jewel 2022 instant analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here shortly after the conclusion of WWE Crown Jewel to break down every single thing that happened on WWE's penultimate live event for 2022. Vintage Chris Vanini is here along for the ride, and we are going to talk about every match and storyline from this show momentarily. Allow me right off the top here to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating on Spotify if that's where you listen. But let everyone know how much you love the show. If you leave those ratings and reviews on Apple, we will read your five-star review right here, live on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We tweet live during the premium live events and the big TV shows for WWE and AEW all week. We tweet out news, videos, tons of fun stuff, and you have the ability to participate in our live pre- and post-show polls. That way you can let us know what your expectations and final grades are for every premium live event and pay-per-view. We also drop new episodes on there first before anywhere else. That way you know when a new show is live. Now, normally this is the part of the program where I crack open a cold one for the instant analysis type of podcast, Uh, but we're right in the middle of the day. We're not going to be doing that today. So allow me instead to welcome in vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, we have talked uh, numerous times on this podcast how much we hate Saturday premium live events, especially during college football season. The only thing worse than that is a Saturday afternoon premium live event. So suffice to say, we are both wired, or I'm sure I can say I'm at least wired right now, and we are trying to knock out this show. We want to give you a full in-depth analysis of this special event, Crown Jewel, uh, Blood Money in the Sand, if you will, if you prefer. Uh, but at the same time, we got a lot of stuff to do in our work lives as well. Yes, we're, we're, we're not drinking right now. We're on the job uh, covering college football. I got a nice cold water with me and me too. Uh, got some nice football, cold football on football on in the background but uh yeah we're here to talk some wrestling i don't know about you but i am a hydro homie here on the uh, getting over wrestling podcast as well especially today and there will be adult beverages consumed later now chris uh let's just get right into this we usually you know give an overview of the show we don't have time for that today uh what we do though discuss is what our pre-show expectation grade was going into crown jewel both you and i were on the exact same page at a B plus, and just to set the groundwork in terms of all of our listeners where you guys sat, you were at a flat B. 85% of respondents to our pre-show poll said B. There was 7% A, uh, 8% C, basically. So really, it was, a, it was a very strong, hey, this is going to be a B show from the audience, Chris. Maybe you and I were a little overly positive coming into it, but I think we probably remembered, correct me if I'm wrong, how good Crown Jewel was last year, which you and I gave an A grade to at the end of that show, and it exceeded our expectations. So I had high hopes going into the show. Yeah, the last show had a lot of big matches. It really was a WrestleMania card. And this one just wasn't that. We we, we figured a lot of the results would be kind of predictable, which isn't always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it didn't feel like the big one of the last one. It felt more like some previous crown jewel matches. As a wise man named Paul Levesque once said, sometimes predictable things are good. And no, I don't have the sound drop for you right now, unfortunately. Chris, let's get right into it. Our WWE 
Crown Jewel Instant Analysis. We're going to break down every match on the card. There are two where some stuff happened on SmackDown that we're going to need to talk about before we get into the match. But for the vast majority of these, we're just going to go right to them. So let's start with the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, the main event, Roman Reigns defending the title against Logan Paul of all people, right? Logan entered atop a sky-high podium. Wade Barrett had a really great comment about him stealing his bad news podium. I thought that was funny. There was a really cool drone shot of Roman and Logan's faces that were above the stadium. It was like a synchronized type of drone thing. They did it throughout the entire show. Reigns got an immense amount of pyro on the stage, like double Cody Rhodes. It was (laughs) insane, the amount there was. Cody must have been... Seething. It just must have killed him yeah, to not. He was seething at home, not getting get that. that kind of pyro. Uh, Reigns got a big pop from the crowd as well. Uh, then he got even more pyro atop the stadium, circling it. The entrance must have been 15 minutes. It was one of his longest entrances of all time. Logan got massive babyface cheers. Remember the location when we say that. Uh, Reigns was largely on top early. Logan had a run with two massive leapfrogs, a hip toss, a clothesline over the ropes, a crossbody running off the barricade, and a freaking buckshot lariat. This was a great run for Logan, Chris, but I couldn't help but legitimately laugh out loud when he hit the buckshot lariat, thinking like <laughs> how much better it was than all of CM Punk's attempts combined. Well, it was stiff, too. It nailed him. Like it was a real area, but it looked awesome in that spot. Uh, Roman caught Logan flying with that Samoan uppercut strike. I don't know what that's called, but he did that. Uh, he gave him sarcastic applause because he was wearing him out, basically. Rain started choking Logan while talking trash into the camera about this being it for YouTubers and WWE. He mentioned KSI and Mr. Beast, which just so happened to be the only other two YouTube people I've ever heard of in my entire life. Uh, but Paul powered out. He had a huge gut wrench slam plus a flying blockbuster for a near fall. There were some girls that were screaming at the top of their lungs every single time Logan did anything to the point that I almost muted this. It wasn't WWE's fault, but holy shit, were they grating. Uh, Logan bounced off the ropes with a surprise Superman punch. He couldn't cover. He kipped up, hit a huge splash and uh, a standing moonsault for another near fall. Then Logan tuned up the band like Shawn Michaels, but Reigns caught the super kick attempt for a Uranagi. Logan avoided a Superman punch and slugged Reigns in the face. He stumbled and Logan followed him with a Superman punch for a 2.99 false finish. That was really the moment of the match right there. Then he put Reigns on the announce table outside. He grabbed the phone from his buddies at ringside. Logan paused at the top rope to film the crowd before hitting a frog splash off the top rope, crashing through the table. The Usos came down first to really check on Reigns. Then they dragged his friends over the barricade for a beatdown with super kicks. They didn't touch Logan. They just beat down the friends. I thought that was interesting. Then Jake Paul made a full entrance. He hit both Usos with knockout punches. Logan hit D'Lo's lowdown back inside the ring for another 2.9 count. Then Solo Sokoa got a full entrance but referees and officials separated him and Jake Paul, which I thought was interesting. It might be indicative of something happening in the future. Uh, The Usos were ready to double team Jake when Logan hit a tope crossbody. Then Logan came back inside. Roman hit a Superman punch and a spear to win the championship, to retain the championship in 25 minutes. After the bell, he looked at Logan like almost in PTSD shock, like surprised that he put up that much of a fight. And then when walking up the ramp, Paul Heyman was effusive in his praise and acknowledgement of Reigns. Roman put his head in his chest, and then he celebrated some more as the Pauls got each other's backs at ringside. Wade Barrett said this during commentary, and it's true. I'm not sure there's ever been a more impressive wrestler, celebrity or otherwise, through three career matches. 
How can you look at what Logan did here and be anything other than just completely impressed? His athleticism is totally off the charts. It's shocking. I never thought he would be that good as an, of an athlete. And that completely makes up for any inexperience that he might have. But what's crazy is you can't even tell that he's that inexperienced because he sells incredibly well and he has almost a full move set at this point. In other words, Logan Paul has it. And yes, it shocks me to say it. This was really running hot this match, Chris, until the ringside shit went down. What I appreciated was even though that all happened, they didn't break falls. They didn't really get involved beating on Roman or beating on Logan. They allowed the one-on-one to still kind of remain one-on-one. It all happened as extra to the match that didn't actually distract from the wrestling, but it did slow things down, which I thought was a little unfortunate. The one clear change I would have made is Logan missing the frog splash outside because he took the time to gloat and do the social media shit. He could have done that, gone back inside and Reigns really could have just won at that point. It really should have directly cost him, but that's a minor gripe. Reigns winning easily after Logan was distracted the second time. That was the right move. I gave this 4.25 stars and an A. I had really high expectations because I did think Logan would deliver. And yet this exceeded those expectations. Just a very, very good match. Yeah, man. I mean, you said it all there, but I would definitely give this an A as well. Look, it's like Roman said on SmackDown a couple weeks ago when he said he's had two matches. Well, he's now had three matches and all three of them, he is absolutely knocked out of the park. It's wild. Like we we, we said it after each one, but this guy just he gets it. He understands what it means to be a performer in front of a crowd and he has the athleticism to make it work. Did you see the video? That he took. I of did him jumping off. Yep. You say you did not. I did. I did. I saw it. Yep. Yeah, it is. It is wild. Like, like to see it from that angle. And like, I understand him hitting the move because I'm sure part of the planning was, all right, we're going to have this bit of content now. Of course. Put yeah. out there. Sure. And it absolutely worked like that. You know, that's that's a move that only like what Shawn Michaels and Shane McMahon typically do and he's he's nailing that well Shane McMahon does the Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens uh do the flying elbow drop from the top yeah. outside. Uh there are other people who to, have done to, the frog to do splash. a frog splash is a lot harder. Yeah. You gotta get your whole body there. And he's done it now two times. But yeah there's there's plenty of other people who have done it. So I'm not trying to like you know whatever I'm just saying, like, but, but like no but but the fact that he's doing it it doesn't matter that other the fact that he's doing it is crazy. Yeah it, it it's he's gotten better with each match and like we knew he wasn't going to win, but I, I said in our preview, it was just like, is there going to be a moment when Roman gives us a 2.99 count and you think he might? And we got and they, We yeah. got that. We got it. We actually got a couple of them. I think Roman was being a little bit generous in some of those kickoffs. Well, the, fir- the, the 2.99, the 2.99, you and I have discussed this before. Roman may be in the entire world. Yes. The best near fall kickout artist. He, he, yeah, right he, he's honestly like a couple are getting almost too late. Like they're almost legitimately threes yeah. that the ref is not counting. But but he he gets those in the big moments. He had him with Drew. He had him here. And, and, and it's, let me just let me just like add. That, yeah, that's a big piece of praise. It's wild to say that when Kazushka Okada, Tetsuya Naito and uh, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi all exist in this world and they're all incredible at it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Roman because of his size that like he doesn't just sneak his arm up. He literally has to like power his arm up at the 2.99. It just makes it look so impressive. Or maybe it's just because 
we see it more frequently that I say that. But he is in that group at a minimum, perhaps at the top of the group. I'm sorry, please continue. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. And it it matters because there was that split second where I thought Logan Paul is going to (laughs) win. Like they got me like that. That's all you wanted from this. And we got it. And so so that was great. The match was a lot of fun. Like, I don't know what the ceiling is for Logan Paul here. Like, does he make a U.S. title run at some point? How often is he going to be around? I I don't know. It's crazy. But that coupled in with Jake Paul getting involved now, and he's, you know, he won another boxing match a couple weeks ago. Uh, WWE, WWE knows they have something here, and they're going to get as much out of it as they can. And frankly, I can't blame them because this is absolutely working. That was going to be my takeaway here. It's it's they've signed this guy long term, which, first of all, was a great move. OK, and secondly, if you are going to have him, then you need to use him to the the maximum of his ability. Right. Same thing with Jake Paul. If you're going to pay Jake Paul to come over to Saudi Arabia and be there and get your social media influence, and all that type of shit, then you can't just have him sitting in the crowd. You need him to go do something. And that is why they did it here. Doing all of this in Saudi Arabia, as opposed to during like SummerSlam or WrestleMania or something, it is far more palatable and yes. you're more accepting of it because we don't expect, you know, this particular match on this particular show to be the most, you know, wrestling work rate world title match that Roman Reigns is going to put on. And yet the wrestling was fantastic. Well, that's I mean, the Logan thing. Paul, Logan Paul, Chris, let's put a pin in it, right? He is the best celebrity wrestler of all time. Is that correct? Yes. That's it. Yes. And and, and, and we are, but we are clearly going to get to a point where Logan Paul as a believable world champion. It's going to be possible. Yeah. It's going to be possible. It's not a a situation of ways away, but we're We're clearly going to get there. He will hold one of the championships when they get split. He will hold one of them. I think as long as the other one exists where someone like a Cody Rhodes or a Bobby Lashley can hold it and be quote unquote, the real world champion. But Logan Paul is going to win one of those titles. You're a thousand percent correct because it's legitimate. Like you look at him and mm-hmm. you see him wrestling. You say, why can't he? If Miz is champion, right? Someone like the Miz, I don't mean to, to denigrate Miz, but I'm saying if he was to be the champion at the time, why can't Logan Paul beat Miz for the title? He definitely could, Right. Um, there's other people like that where you say, well, why couldn't he, if Austin Theory somehow cashes in and wins one of the championships, why can't Logan Paul beat Austin Theory? He definitely could. And it wouldn't hurt him because Logan Paul has bona fides. He's good. It's just a shocker. It's a total shocker to me that he was this good. But Chris, beyond Logan Paul, and I think we've been uh, praiseworthy enough of him, right? We have plenty still to talk about on the show. I want to talk about what happened at the end because there was really good character development here where Roman Reigns, after the match, I mentioned it earlier, he almost had a little PTSD, as if he feels like each title defense is getting closer and closer, that he's losing the grip on the championship. Think about the Brock Lesnar match, the Drew McIntyre match, and now this with Logan Paul, who in his mind and in our minds too, shouldn't have even been competitive against him. And yet he almost lost the championship here. It feels to me, or it seems to me, like the pressure is mounting on his shoulders and he's starting to become unglued and unhinged. We saw the promo at Raw where he, after everything was done, you're like, oh, he's just walking to the back. He like grabs the camera and went crazy into it. You saw it here mm-hmm. at the end of this segment. He's walking up the ramp and he just starts ranting. And Paul Heyman almost has to say, you're the man, you're my tribal chief. I acknowledge you. If I'm reading it right, this is a great new twist to what is already the top character 
in all of professional wrestling. And given WrestleMania is approaching, it seems like they're starting to tell that story of Reigns losing his grip and eventually losing the championship. I definitely think that's possible. And, and um, it, 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 it'll add more when, whenever something happens with Sami Zayn uh, as well, who obviously wasn't here. We'll talk about that during the tag team match. But We uh, will. Absolutely. Yeah, they're... Um, it's a little more character tweak for Roman and it's good. And I'm curious to see how he's going to respond on, I assume SmackDown next, uh, next week. Now this is Chris, what I would consider the co-main event, but it did open the show because if Brock Lesnar is not the main event, he's the opener. And he also probably jumping on a private jet and getting his ass home back to the United States or Canada as quick as he possibly can. So we had Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley to start things off. Lashley pushed Lesnar into the steel steps before the bell rang. Uh, He injured Lesnar's knee and immediately followed with a spear outside. Lashley then speared Lesnar inside after the bell, a third time outside through the timekeeper's area, and a fourth time back inside, but only got a flat two count. Lesnar immediately countered a hurt lock attempt into three German suplexes while he was limping around the ring. An F5 followed, but that only got a 2.5 on Lashley, so he got the kick out of the finisher. Lashley did the helicopter into the post outside. They countered Spear and F5 into the almighty Spinebuster. Lashley got the Hurt Lock with Lesnar selling it extremely well, but keeping his arm up on the three count. I love when they do that. He ran into the corner and repelled his body backwards off the turnbuckles, landing his entire body backwards onto Lashley for the one, two, three, as Lashley tried keeping the Hurt Lock in, but when he decided he needed to kick out, he couldn't get it in time. Lesnar got the win. He couldn't lift his shoulders. Lashley. Uh, So Lashley immediately stood up and sensed basically no selling the finish, which was appropriate because he didn't get hit with a move. Lesnar was laid out face down on the canvas, absolutely spent from the submission hold. Lashley paced around for a while, and then he put the hurt lock back on Brock in what would seem to be a heel turn, but also might be a receipt. We'll clearly find out on Monday. But Chris, I thought this was a really inventive finish. Not at all what I was expecting. Definitely the right move to have Lesnar go over and presumably set up a rubber match where both guys can go into it claiming they were not beaten decisively in the prior outings. Obviously, interference when Bobby Lashley won. And now here, Brock Lesnar just pushing his body back onto Lashley. It's very reminiscent of the Lesnar-Undertaker feud where Taker finally beat him, but there were a lot of questions about it. So they had to do the rubber match between them. That's great because it also keeps, by the way, Brock Lesnar out of the title picture, which is something we very much want to happen. Plus, on top of that, Brock's selling throughout this was outstanding from the knee early to the exhaustion from the hurt lock later in the match. This is the most vulnerable that he has looked other than against Roman Reigns since the Goldberg feud all those years ago. He really put over Lashley's dominance and strength here. It was not the all-out banger that I expected, But it's really tough to disagree with the booking when you like break it all down. I'm not sure whether this is going to get run back immediately. Survivor Series, they hold off for a little bit until the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania. But this was perfectly done, even if it was not as great as it could have been. So it fell below expectations for me. I only give it three stars and four slabs of beef. But that doesn't mean it wasn't good. There was a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And we didn't get any water or bread. It was just meaty action. So, so definitely like very good and entertaining, but I am anticipating the rubber match because that I would expect to be awesome. And spoiler alert, we've got even more media action coming in this episode. We'll get to that. We do. 
look, if if you're going to have Brock beat Bobby again, this is the way to do it um, because because if Bobby wins, and you said this on the preview, if Bobby wins, then he kind of has to be in the title picture at that point. So if you're going to have him lose, have him lose kind of in a roll up type of way, and he gets his heat, and he gets his heat back on the in the, the post match, do whatever. So I, I think that's all it was. It was, hey, look, we can't have Brock lose, but we'll make you look good in a loss and get it back and move forward. So it, it all made sense. The match was fine. It's kind of what I think we we mostly expected. Um, they 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 tried to start hot. They tried to do kind of the Goldberg. Bobby, uh, the Goldberg Brock WrestleMania start with a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Bobby Spears him through the barricade and Michael Cole barely even reacted because I think that's a spot we've seen so many times now. I think it's kind of starting to overdo it a bit, but good, fine match. Give it like a BB plus, nothing great, understandable finish. You're opening the show with this. I, I It all made sense kind of for what they did in the end. Oh, so you're higher than me on the match because I was at B minus, and and that wasn't to say it was bad by any means, but you yeah, no, I like, even, like I said, you like enjoyed a, it even more than I did. Yeah, I, I guess. Okay, I was just double checking. That's fine. So, Chris, before we move on, clearly we're getting a rubber match. Do you agree? In general, um, I don't know. Uh, like when WrestleMania? Well, that's that was going to be the question I was going to ask you. So, do you save it for WrestleMania, or do you run it at the Royal Rumble? Because here's what I would book: just a really quick booking idea. You have Bobby Lashley in the Royal Rumble. Brock Lesnar comes in like a couple guys later. They do that elimination where like they try to clothesline each other or hug each other over the ropes. They both get eliminated. They brawl outside and the match gets made for WrestleMania. That is the way I book this. That gets them at the Royal Rumble, two really big names, and it gives you a star-studded men's match on the night where um, the championship is not on the line at WrestleMania. That's for me the best of both worlds. Yeah, I, I mean, like, if you're going to have Brock and he's not in the title picture, it's got to be something. I'm I'm kind of done with Brock and Bobby. There wasn't really a story to this. I don't know how much of a story you can really tell anymore. Well, the story um, to this was that Brock was pissed. That yeah, but 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 Bobby like you're not going to get Brock every week. Can you tell that story in the way you want? I, I don't know. Um, I think it's like it'll work. It'll You put on the poster. It looks great. It's it's fine. I think it's certainly something very likely. But I, I, I also think you can do a lot more with Bobby and Brock and put them in with other matches with other people. But we'll see. I think that's a fair take. But what I would do just, you know, again, one more little booking the damn territory before we move on. I would have Bobby like take not a lot, but one or two surprise losses. He gets caught in like a small package or something happens. He gets down in the dumps a little bit. And then he starts making a comeback like in December and, and he he really starts building a profile again. He enters the Royal Rumble. I'm going to win the Royal Rumble. I'm going to take down the tribal chief at WrestleMania. It's my time. Like you, you build up that whole storyline and then you do exactly what I said with Brock Lesnar. I'm not finished with you. Um, or, or maybe at some point, you know, leading into Royal Rumble, Bobby says something like, you know, Brock didn't really beat me. It was lucky, blah, blah, blah. And then that's why that's why Lesnar enters the Rumble. That's why Lesnar takes out Lashley, and that leads to them brawling and gets you the WrestleMania match. So again, that's just what I would do. But I think there's definitely more, kind of pun intended here, meat on the bones for Lashley-Lesnar. And I think everyone would be thrilled to see a rubber match at WrestleMania. So those were the two major men's matches. Let's slide into the big women's matches on the card. We'll start with the Women's Tag Team Championship. Asuka and Alexa Bliss, your new champions from Monday night on Raw against Damage Control, the former champions. Uh, Damage Control had some really awesome white gear, I thought, for this match. Asuka and Alexa Bliss, they cut a promo backstage about 
defending the title so quickly after winning them. But Bliss actually got distracted during the promo while she was talking when the TV flashed with some of those images that we see from the Bray Wyatt stuff. There was a really fun spot early in the match where Bliss tripped Dakota Kai running and didn't fall for the same move herself. Asuka got a great pop and ran with Io Sky. There was a really nice tag team bulldog into Alexa's feet, plus a double hip attack and baseball slides. Io took out Asuka's knee with a great dragon screw, and she came back with a bulldog type of clothesline. Uh, but, but she did sell, Asuka did, that knee for the remainder of the match. Bliss got the hot tag and got all her signatures plus a code red. Asuka was the base of a super duper plex. Asuka got her signatures but ate Dakota's running boot. Kai got knees up on Twisted Bliss. Io missed a springboard moonsault and ate a knee outside. Bliss got Kai with the DDT, but the referee was distracted because Io and Asuka were like brawling on the uh, on the ring apron into the ring. And for some reason, that distracted the referee, even though they're both legal competitors. Uh, that allowed Nikki Cross to sneak inside, uh, catch Bliss's like ankle on the turnbuckle and hit a twisted neckbreaker, twisting neckbreaker on Bliss off the top rope. That allowed Kai to cover to steal the titles back for the heels in 13 minutes. I thought there was great wrestling in this match. Like this may have been even better than the Raw match that I praised, though it yes. was a slight downgrade for the distraction interference finish. So I'm at 3.75 stars in B plus, but I honestly wonder if it should get another quarter star and be at that A minus range. It was a really good match. Now switching the titles back with Cross interfering, it makes the Raw title change. I think you you probably guess I'm going to say worthless. That's not what I believe. I think it makes it more sensible because she has now firmly aligned herself with the heels with War Games approaching. I also liked that she interfered with Bliss given they were previously partners. So there's back end storyline there. Now, the idea in giving Asuka and Bliss the titles were to let them get a championship win, a, a significant win in this feud before presumably ending the feud in a full weeks rather than having Asuka and Bliss lose every single time they fought damage control. Plus, it was a title win on television going up against the World Series and Monday Night Football. So they wanted to have a big moment, or it was supposed to be the World Series. I guess it got rained out. Now, is it frustrating that the women's tag team titles are being hot potatoed a little bit? Sure, but it's a double-edged sword because the women are also getting a lot of TV time out of it. The TV time they're getting is strong. The matches have been really good. And the titles actually feel important with people going after them and them changing, which they never really did before. So while I do accept the frustration about the titles going back and forth, that is the perspective I add to the entire thing. I enjoyed the match and I enjoyed the booking. Match was really well done. Shout out to all the women who I think did a great job. Uh, I, I do think overall this was better than the Raw match. Probably I'm right on that B plus A minus range mm -hmm. as well. But I do think it makes the titles a bit more worthless or, or makes changing the titles over to okay. Alexa and Asuka worthless when they didn't even last a full week with them. Yeah. There are ways to give Alexa and Asuka wins if you want before some sort of War Games match, such as, yeah, Asuka should beat Dakota Kai or Shirai one-on-one. Well, not Io. You got to save up. that match. You got to save Asuka. Either. You, you got to save. I'm just saying yeah. at this point, based on sure. what they've done, Asuka can win that match. Even Alexa can win a match. Like you can do different things without straight up giving them the titles and then taking them away mm -hmm. uh, uh, one week later. Or, or like we did the preview on Tuesday and this wasn't even on the card. Like it's it not wasn't like even. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. You're right. This wasn't even on the card. Yeah. 
it, it's not like they built to some sort of rematch. I think you I think you could have built up a rematch, done it on a raw, changed it back as part of the build up to war games or something like that. I just I think this was thrown together at the last minute very poorly, and it's unfortunate uh, on that point. But I do think the women worked hard and it was it was a great match. I think that's a completely legitimate opinion that I respect. And I would say nine times out of 10, when similar things have happened, I've heavily criticized it. This is the one case where I just, it didn't really bother me, especially given the result of the next match we're going to talk about, the Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Bailey. The backstage deal with Bliss and the Wyatt stuff, it was interesting. I, I really don't want her thrown back into that world. I do trust it now more under Triple H than I would have previously. I just feel like it's a bad idea and it's unnecessary to put Bliss back into that. I'm not saying it's going to happen. This could have just been a little bit of a tease that they timed really well with Bliss on screen to kind of give people a little jolt, right? And they don't have to follow through with it. Um, the crowd did pop huge when it happened. And I did too, to the extent that it was unexpected for it to happen in that moment. But I just don't want it. Do you feel the same way? Don't don't want what, what exactly? Bliss getting back into Bray Wyatt's world. Um, I'm fine with it because she's doing nothing. I know she just won the women's tag team belt, but she is nothing as a character. She is Bianca's friend, and that is her entire thing. If it's something different for Alexa Bliss, I'm all for it. If it's a way to bring her in to get her back out of it, fine. But I just, Alexa Bliss right now is doing nothing for me, and it is 0% her fault. You're right. She she just has zero character. She's a she's like kind of Candice LeRae. Her and Candice LeRae, they're women. They're just people who wrestle. You yep. know, like Mad Cat Moss. He's a person who wrestles. Like it's it's generic. There's nothing special about them. Uh, and, you know, both of them have nicknames, uh, meaning Alexa Bliss and Candice LeRae, but neither of them matter what their nicknames are. Um, everything about them is very generic. You're right. So if it gave her something, sure. I would hope, though, that given all the character development they've done for so many other people, women included, men and women on the roster right now, they could come up with something better than just throwing her back into it just because Bray Wyatt's back. That's my hope, at least. Let's move on to the Raw Women's Championship. Bel Air against Bailey. This was a last woman standing match. And Chris, just a quick preface before we get into it. Uh, it's been my take on this show for years now that last man, last woman standing matches are my least favorite stipulation. Why? Because it ruins the anticipatory finish where is it going to be a one, two, three? Are they going to submit? You're just watching someone count. But I will say, and I'm going to say this going into the match, you're going to get an idea that I liked it. Uh, the last two of these that we've had, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and this one, I don't want to say they're changing my opinion, but what they are telling me is last person standing matches can be done well. So I just wanted to give you that little preview before we get into this. Um, I'll respond to that after the, after you explain the match. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Bailey had matching gear to the rest of Damage Control, which I just thought was a really nice touch. They were in all yes. white, just looked really, really good. Uh, Bel Air looked like Grimace. She was wearing all purple. Uh, they both got drone art as well. Bianca's was super cool with her lips and the braid. Uh, they quickly went outside with weapons. Bailey sat Bel Air in a chair and hit a running diving clothesline off the barricade, which was a great spot. Bel Air hit a heavy vertical suplex on the ramp. Bailey tripped on the edge of the ramp, and I thought she was actually hurt. That you know they 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 worked me a little bit. Uh, she played everyone using the opening to slam Belair into the metal barrier. 
Belair threw a chair at Bailey's head while she was climbing the ropes. Bailey then put Belair behind steel steps, ran her into them, and put a ladder over the gap, almost as like a trap. When Bianca got up, Bailey beat her ass with a kendo stick like it was a whack-a-mole game, which I thought was very smart. Belair caught the stick on the next try and did a spinebuster into the steps. Bailey walked up the ramp, so Bianca followed her and beat her ass with a kendo stick to the point that it splintered. Bailey then hit a Bailey to Belly on the top of the stage. Bailey ran a road case into Belair, which she fell into, and then she slammed the lid. But when she went to get on top to cover it, Bianca opened it and slammed her in the face. Bailey escaped the KOD and put Belair in a cross face. When Belair got up, Bailey appeared from behind the stage with a golf cart and drove it to her. But it must have been the slowest golf cart <laughs> of all time. There was zero speed. It must have been going five miles an hour. Yeah. So when it like approached her, Bianca did the smart thing. She literally just took one step to the left and completely avoided it. Uh, they wound it up. They wound up battling on the roof of the golf cart. Belair then drove it to ringside with Bailey on top, but the referee didn't count, even though she was down the entire time. Mm. Bailey grabbed her braid, uh, but the spot was supposed to be Belair pulling Bailey, who had a hold on her braid, off the roof through a table that was set up at ringside. Instead, Bailey overshot the table and bounced off of it. It looked nasty. The referee immediately checked on her. So Belair was like, all right, whatever. She just put, picked her up, powerbombed her through the table for a 9.5 count. Bianca stacked chairs beneath and on top of Bailey back in the ring, but the challenger moved on a 450 attempt and Belair just splattered right into them. She stood at 9.99. It was like the closest it could be. Bailey set up a ladder at a 45 degree angle. Belair avoided Roseplant into the top of the chair, countering with KOD into the chair. Then she slammed Bailey in the open ladder and slid it underneath the bottom turnbuckle so that it couldn't be opened. Bailey got the top half of her body out before the 10 count, but couldn't stand up before the 10, ending the match in 21 minutes. This was, in my opinion at least, easily their best match together. Tremendous spots throughout. Bailey in particular put her entire body on the line. She took an absolute beating here. There were multiple false finishes in which it looked like either woman could win. Those are a plus whenever you get that. You can make an argument about Belair beating Bailey again. And my argument is it's okay if they do that, but there is no way at this point Bailey should ever get another title match as long as Bianca is champion. She's just done as a challenger. You can also ask, why did none of the other women show up when they were all clearly there? Those are legitimate legal and legal. And it was legal for them. It would have been legal for them to do so because it was no disqualification. Those are completely legitimate criticisms. And the clean win here also means the only booking at war games is controversy over the way the tag team titles changed, where it could have been both straps stolen from the faces instead. But in terms of the wrestling, I loved it. If the golf cart spots were nailed, I would have given it an even higher grade, but I still went 4.25 stars and an A for this. Yeah, look, it, it was a very well done match. It was very creative. I think these two seem to have a lot of chemistry together in the ring. I'm kind of tired of Bianca versus Damage Control, but in the ring, Bianca, Bailey, work. Um, you you listed all the spots. You listed also some of the negatives I was going to say, which was why didn't anybody come out and help her? But, you know, it, it is what it is. Ultimately, you mean the you mean Bailey, right? Yes. Right. Okay. You said help her. I was just clarifying. Like you meant yeah. heels helping heels. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Heels helping Bailey. I keep mixing that all the bees up. Um, 
to to the point about the last man, last woman standing match, I forgot who it was, but I saw someone make a really good comment in the week leading up to this, which was that basically last man standing matches have become buried alive matches where you're you're only winning by just burying somebody under something and they can't get up. And that's, that's not a bad way to go. Honestly, it's probably more creative because I, we didn't like it the other way. You kind of had to, it's not an exciting finish. Now it's an exciting of like, Oh, is somebody going to get trapped? I thought Bianca might get trapped in the suitcase thing on the stage. I was like, yeah, oh, that's ba- how they're going to I was surprised like, oh, Bailey so like, I was surprised Bailey didn't immediately jump on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So or that, put like that's a weight on thinking. top. So of it. so like maybe yeah. this is the future of last man standing matches, which is essentially just trying to set traps for your opponent and and keep them down, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's it's been an interesting uh evolving of these kinds of matches that we generally don't like. And now they're just kind of becoming very live matches. Yeah, I think you nailed it there. There's definitely legitimate criticisms that you can have for this match. But again, you just have to respect the work rate and the quality. And and I do want to point out, by the way, um, there's been a lot of talk about damage control isn't working this or that or whatever. EO Sky and Dakota Kai have figured it out as a tag team. What we got in their match was great. And Bailey, you have to remember significant ring rust for all three of them, but particularly Bailey, who was out a really, really long time with her injury. This was the best she's looked. So finally, they're all operating at that really, really high level. And I do think that an interesting storyline does come out of this, Chris, with you have the heels as tag team champions, the baby face as the singles champion. And granted, War Games is going to be a five on five match. We can talk more about that in a moment. But it could be a situation where they just say, you know what? All the titles are on the line, face team versus heel team. Whoever comes out as winner is the full set of champions. That could be a way to take the title off Bianca Belair without Bailey beating her clean or even getting mm. another singles match. But what do you think about that idea? And also, did you have a grade on this match? Uh, you don't always have to do that, but oh, yeah. I, I know sometimes I, 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 you do like giving a letter grade. Yeah, I'm probably like a minus type of thing, I, I, I guess. What do you consider a grade? What do you consider an A with a number? Well, I have a full scale. So uh, for me, uh, when it comes to the A's, at least, an A plus is a five or a 4.75, an A is a four five or a 4.25, and an A minus is a four. That's how that yeah, works. So probably, yeah, so about, probably about a four, A minus on that point. And your your point, your your idea of, hey, what if War Games is for all the titles? I don't hate the idea in concept, but I can't mm-hmm. help but think, this is how you take the belt off Bianca without pinning Bianca or something. Like that. Although you could have done it here. And this is frankly like Bianca is very quickly becoming the John Cena. Like they could have done this exact same spot with like that same thing, but like Bailey and maybe EO and Dakota standing on the ladder also. Yeah. So there's no yeah. way she can get out. And then you're like, well, it, okay, it's excused. Like it wasn't her fault. Look, B- Bianca you know? has become the John Cena of she the is. women's yeah. division. And that's a problem sometimes. I mean, look, she's still getting great cheers. Everybody loves her. I don't think fans are necessarily going to turn on her. But for her as a character, she's she just wins all the time. Even when she's facing the odds uh, in, in numbers in some situations, she, she still wins. And it's like, all right, like, is this, is this just what Bianca is going to be incredibly strong and awesome and wins all the time. And that's it. Like, I don't know. Like when, when I don't remember which happened. I think the women's tag happened first, right? Before yes. this match. Yeah. So when that happened, I was like, Oh, cool. Damage control, win all the belts. 
will get mm-hmm. to where they need to get, and finally damage control can get moving. It just feels like they haven't gotten, they keep stumbling out of the gates. They lose the first women's tag titles. Uh, Bailey keeps lo- uh, losing title matches. It's just, it hasn't, I, I've said before, it hasn't clicked. I'm one of those people, it hasn't clicked for me yet. And I think coming out of Crown Jewel with this situation with Bailey losing again, it's still, it's still is. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't think damage control is like setting the world on fire or anything like that. But I do think criticisms of them are significantly overblown. The one that I do believe to be very accurate, though, is like, why haven't they strapped up Bailey? Like, she's the perfect person to take the title off Bianca Belair. And if it's not going to be her on Raw right now, the only other legitimate person who could do it is Rhea Ripley. And she is nowhere near being involved in the title picture. It seems like there's going to be a woman added to the OC Judgment Day feud. That makes sense. When that's over, she has Beth Phoenix to deal with, which I would assume is going to happen at WrestleMania. So like she's busy. Now I know there's, you know, Becky Lynch who still needs to return. Charlotte Flair still needs to return. There's two other women I'm going to talk about right now who still need to return. And that's potentially, we think, Sasha Banks and Naomi. So really quick, because you're not going to be on Tuesday's show at least, you mentioned to me you may not be on Tuesday's show. We can talk about that in a little bit. Or you and I, I'm sorry, I can talk about that offline is what I mean. Uh, but Sasha Banks posted on social media this week. She's excited for something huge happening soon. Now, some people on Twitter also noticed that for the first time in like six months, Sasha and Naomi were back in the WWE intro before the show. That's after being removed from it. Mm. Now, if they came back and they sided with the faces for a war game, so you get Bianca Belair, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Sasha Banks, and Naomi against Damage Control, Nikki Cross, and one other person they'd obviously have to pull in. Does that work for you as a five-on-five Survivor Series match? War Games match. Does it, work, a- absolute, does it work absolutely? Um, just in terms of that. But I don't, I, it, those points make sense. I don't know if I'd read too much into Sasha's comments because she has so much going I know. on right now. It could be a, it could so be a record many, album or something. It could be know. anything. So I, the, yeah. the point about them being back being in the intro is, is interesting. But I, I don't know if I'd quite put that together. And frankly, if Sasha was going to make a comeback, I don't think she'd, uh, you know, tease it or announce it. That's a good point. I mean, the only reason to tease it would possibly be to pop a raw rating. But then you would specifically tease on Monday. I got something big. You know what I mean? You're not going to say at some point soon. You're not going to mm-hmm. be uh, vague about it. You're going to be specific about it in that case. One more thing before we move on. Shout out to Petey Williams, who was the producer for both of these women's matches, according to PW Insider. Tremendous job, I thought, with booking and pacing. They were Mm -hmm. two really, really good matches. I wanted to give him his flowers. Uh, We mentioned Bray Wyatt. Let's go ahead and move to that because Bray did make an appearance at Crown Jewel. But before that, he also made an appearance on SmackDown. He was pacing backstage saying he doesn't like to share his feelings. And it kills him when he gets interrupted while doing something already difficult sharing his feelings. Some random stagehand walked into the shot and the producer from behind the camera yelled at the guy, hey, we're live. Get the hell out of here. Bray walked up to the guy. He's like, I know you're just doing your job, but this feels to me like when someone cuts me off in traffic and you just lose your mind for those 30 seconds. Bray said he wanted to slam the guy's head into something and screamed how he needed an apology. The guy said he was really sorry. Bray said he knows and politely asked him to leave. Now, during this whole thing, images flashed on the screen from various of like the Uncle Howdy videos, basically indicating that the devil inside was kind of invading his consciousness as he was talking to this guy. I thought this was fantastic, Chris. You and I have been rightly frustrated, you more than I, for longer than I, 
about the Wyatt stuff on TV, but this is exactly what I talked about on Tuesday's show, wanting to see from him. He finally addressed being interrupted and had a reaction to someone else doing something to him, even though he didn't really directly do it, but that gave better insight into the character and the mindset that he had upon his return. It also showcased everything we've been talking about regarding his difficulty controlling his anger. The way he interacted with that guy while simultaneously acting conflicted, I thought was perfect. I just wish the extra, the dude that was in the headset, he would have sold it more. He just stood there not doing anything. He should have been scared shitless talking to Bray Wyatt. So that guy's acting aside, I really liked what we got on SmackDown. Yeah, I I didn't catch the whole thing live. I caught a clip of it. Um, A step forward, yes, but we'll also get into what happened on Crown Jewel. Okay, so let's get to that. Bray appeared in like the final third of the show. He made his full entrance. He talked about coming from a prestigious wrestling family and always wanting to be great, though great wasn't good enough. He had to be greater. This is the first time in his entire career he's ever mentioned being a rotunda. Obviously, he didn't say he was a rotunda, but nevertheless. So I found that to be very interesting. Fans loudly chanted, yes, you are, meaning you are good enough. He said he felt good being untouchable in the mask, making it near impossible to quit. Wyatt said the monster destroyed him and ran ran him away from those he loved. Fans chanted, we love you. He said no one loves him, including himself, just the idea of him and what he's capable of doing. Wyatt said he didn't want to be remembered as the monster. He never used the word the fiend. He just kept alluding to it. He repeated, my name is Bray Wyatt three times with increasing intensity. And every time he did, the crowd cheered louder and louder for him. And then he said he wanted to rewrite history to end his story. Now, Uncle Howdy interrupted again, but this time the lights stayed on and we saw Bray watching the video. Uncle Howdy said, why wear a mask? It must hurt forcing yourself to be someone you're not. I fooled them, but you can't fool me. Who knows you better than I do? Do you think they still love you? Let them know the truth. If they don't want the truth, they don't deserve you. And the truth is, you're going to go too far. You're going to give in. So why wait? Because when you do, you'll be remembered, or you'll remember, I'm sorry, just how good it feels. It's going to feel good, so good. If you're worried about the aftermath, just don't take the last something. I don't know what word that was. Then he said, tell me I'm wrong. This time, again, we got to see Bray watch and react to the entire thing. So just like I said, coming out of SmackDown, this was much much better than we've gotten previously. We actually got some in-depth reasoning on Wyatt's return coming without The Fiend, why he did it in the first place, The Fiend, and what his goal is in coming back. Plus, we got the Uncle Howdy stuff, presumably a mix of his subconscious and family pressure peeking through, trying to disrupt his new mission while also trying to turn him to the dark side. I just think it's an extremely interesting way to keep Wyatt as a babyface, yet have so many of these forces guiding him to be a heel. The first week was okay. Last week completely lost me. This week, what we got on SmackDown and here at Crown Jewel fully brought me back, and I'm all in on this again. It was okay. We we saw Bray Wyatt watching the Uncle Howdy video, but unless I missed something, he didn't do anything. He didn't say anything back. He just watched the screen. So, Mm -hmm. like, ah. It's a small step forward. At least he's acknowledging these videos happen now, but it's still annoying to get it. We know Bray's in the ring and we just leave him and we don't get him responding to it in any way directly or saying anything to it. Well, I don't expect him to like cut a second promo against the video. 
I never, yeah. I do. I, okay. He's interrupted him every single week now. He still doesn't. He still doesn't talk back. So like, why not? I, I just mm-hmm. it, look. It's okay. It is a small step in the right direction. Let me ask you more. Specifically. I'm still just not that into it. Let me ask yeah. you more specifically. The content of the promo and the content of the video this week to me revealed and told a lot more about the story than we had been getting. And I think our criticisms were twofold. One, it was the presentation of the entire thing and and the way he didn't react to all that. But two, he was also saying a lot of nothing, which is a long-term criticism for the Bray Wyatt character. Mm -hmm. Here, I thought he didn't say nothing. He literally told us all the little details of the storyline and what this is and, and what it's not that we hadn't known that to this point, we'd been forced to fill in ourselves. I, I don't like, but I don't like the idea of him acknowledging that he's a rotunda and basically like breaking kayfabe, almost something that he never does while also having a spooky thing going on and being like, I'm being pulled between the good and the light while also admitting that I'm a play actor in this thing called pro wrestling. What, what makes Bray well, he's not really break, saying He's not really saying that he's a play actor. He's by acknowledging that he comes from a wrestling family. Okay. It's an acknowledgement of, of Mike Rotunda in the family, as opposed to Bray Wyatt, it's him as Wyndham. And he's talked about that. That's where it's just not connecting for me because Mm. he's kind of playing with real life a bit, something he's never done before. And so it gets harder for me to kind of buy into the spookiness stuff if he's kind of letting that down a little bit. Sure. I mean, you know, it's for me, it's not spooky. It's it's mental illness. Like, like it's real. I mean, Uncle Howdy's not meant to, Uncle Howdy's straight up showing up on the screen. Like, that's real. I mean, but it could be, I mean, who the, okay, fine. You're right. That's one way or another. That is, you're right. Cause even if that's like a projection of himself, it still has to find a way to appear on screen, which is either magical or, or it's someone else, uh, you know, screwing with him. I was going to say fucking with him, but same thing, right? It has to be one of the two. So you are right. There is a spooky element to it, but in terms of what Bray is doing in terms of his promos, it is him, you know, mixing reality with the fantasy world that he's created. But there's no harm in like Braun Breaker is Braun Breaker, but you know, he's Rick Steiner's son. You know what I mean? Like these, this isn't a, a rare thing that happens in professional wrestling. I think by acknowledging that the fiend was something that he made and brought into reality, it kind of helps close that gap. At least that's the way I take it. Not look, not everyone has to like it. You don't have to like it as much as I do, you know, etc. I just feel we get into this thing with Bray Wyatt that happens very frequently where everyone's really, really excited when he gets back. And oh my God, this new thing he's doing is so cool. And then like four weeks later, everyone's like, oh, enough of Bray already. It happens every single time. Now they saved it with The Fiend and brought it back. But you have to remember initially, like it it was really, really hot. And then it cooled off massively and they had to figure out a way to regenerate it. And some of that did have to do with Alexa Bliss joining him. Um, Here, I just feel like, you know, our criticisms, your criticisms in particular, were completely legitimate through those first two weeks. This week, I thought they fixed a lot of the issues that we experienced previously from being able to hear and understand his promos, plus the videos. The video is the most clear video that we've had to this point. Him not getting rushed out of the ring at the end of the show. He got time to expand on what he was saying. The crowd reacting to the words he was saying, not just him being there, but the content of the promo, for me, it just hit this hit way better than anything he's done live or taped or whatever since actually showing up 
following the white rabbit stuff. That just we, we can we can close it up here. We've talked a lot about yeah, I know. Yeah, we can go much on. on the show. But your idea of like, hey, he's being pulled between the good and the bad, I think is a great basic storyline to work off of. The problem is it's been what he's facing since the beginning. You could have had him come back to cheers, wrestle as Bray Wyatt as a face, getting cheered, and then like two or three weeks later, a couple things start happening and he's starting to get pulled back. He's he's entered this storyline conflicted after being away. And so you're not I'm not feeling it one way or the other because there's nothing there, there wasn't a baseline before I think, the conflict. And I think that's been my biggest issue. I think if the first two weeks were jammed together and what happened this week happened last week, we'd feel a lot better about the entire thing. It feels like it was just this part of the storyline was stretched a little bit too far and people got antsy because he's back and they want some development with him. And I think this week we finally got it. We'll see what happens next Friday on SmackDown. You're right. We need to move on. Undisputed Tag Team Championships, the Usos defending against the Brawling Brutes. On SmackDown, Sami Zayn gave the bloodline a pep talk backstage. Jey Uso was amped up, ready to go cut a promo in the ring. Sami said they talked about it and asked him nicely not to do that. Jay said it's not a bloodline thing. It's an Uso thing. They were champions before Sammy and they're going to be champions after him. Jimmy actually agreed this time, my dog, and went with Jay out to the ring. Solo Sokoa just stood there stoically. So the Usos came out. They did their normal intro. New Day interrupted saying they were rooting for the Brutes. Then they got in their faces saying if the Usos do retain the titles, they're next. They want to defend their record championship reign. Uh, the Usos seem to accept. Suddenly, the Brutes attacked. Xavier Woods yelled, beat them, showing the Brutes had their support. Then the faces beat the heels down four on two until Sammy and Solo evened the odds and ultimately cleared the ring, hitting Ridge Holland with stereo super kicks. They went for the double Uso splash, but Butch took them out with the Shillelagh shots before Sokoa eliminated him with spinning Solo. This was just really well done start to finish on SmackDown. We got a bit of an evolving relationship between Sammy and Jay. Another decision by Jay against Sammy's directions. Again, it being the wrong decision. The expected New Day challenge that we've been anticipating and a nice twist with the baby faces double teaming the heels, which you almost never see. I thought it was a great setup for both the match at Crown Jewel and the match next week on SmackDown. Yes, and it kind of made me wonder, like, could this be the War Games match? Brutes and New Day versus Bloodline. Instead of Brutes, McIntyre, and someone else. Yeah, and, yeah. and like, like I... It, 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 and like, I might be into that. Like, who knows about Sheamus and when he comes back and whatever. But like, I watched all that going on. I was like, oh, I could see this being the match right here. Brutes mm-hmm. and New Day just an absolute beat the shit out of each other. That could work. So I really liked this. I mean, it was a little bit, it was a bit messy. And I like, I actually, I liked that. Yeah, to me, it just kind of feels like, I mean, I love New Day. Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods. It feels like there's a lacking star power, not having another really big name in that match, given how prominent the bloodline is. Like Drew McIntyre needs to be in that match. I don't know who you kick out. Maybe Holland isn't in it. um, Or maybe like Kofi isn't in it and it's just Woods. I don't exactly know what they do. They could certainly figure it out with an injury angle this coming Friday on SmackDown or somewhere in the build to take one guy off that team potentially. Uh, Maybe it's going to be New Day and then one of them gets injured and Drew steps in. That's another way to do it. You need a little bit more star power in my opinion, but you're right. I did think that this signaled that could very well be the War Games match. I'm with you on that. So let's move to Crown Jewel. Uh, Jay came out in a really big arm brace. Now, Cole explained, Jay believes he has a broken wrist and has an MRI set for Monday, but he wanted to defend the titles here. And I think he said, regardless of what the MRI says, he's going to defend them against New Day on Friday anyway. Butch hit a great tornado DDT out of the corner. Ridge, Holland, 
went on a huge run. He stomped Jimmy's arm on the steel steps as retribution for Sheamus. Butch caught an Uso splash with a triangle and digit manipulation. Then Butch ate a double Uso splash with Holland breaking the fall. Butch snapped the fingers on Jay's hand with the injured wrist. Uh, he got hit with white noise. And then Jimmy got held back for a fantastic 2.9 falls finish. Then the Brutes hit their power slam kick finisher for another broken fall. Ridge ate stereo super kicks off the apron. Jimmy got a blind tag unbeknownst to Butch. And Jay pulled Butch down from the top rope while uh, Jimmy simultaneously got in place for an avalanche 1D to retain the titles in 11 minutes. My heavens, Chris, this was a sprint. Like clearly they sped things up because of Jay's injury, but there was so much action here in a really, really short window. The false finishes were awesome. They got me on the second one. The Avalanche 1D was a great way to end it with the Brutes remaining strong, despite it being a clean finish, which was nice. There was no interference, no bullshit. Um, obviously, the Usos were going to retain anyway. Like we knew that, but especially with the New Day match coming up, it was good to see them looking strong, beating another team. You really couldn't ask for much more, particularly given that there was no interference, like I just said. I went four stars and an A minus. Yeah, I'm A minus A range. This was a banger. I thought it was going to be a banger. Um, even though you knew what the result was going to be, it was uh it was a lot of fun. And and it was once again, there were a couple spots. I say it every time they used to have these matches, which is we just talked about Roman being one of the best 2.99 kickouts ever. The Usos, I've said this before. Mm-hmm are the greatest run back into the ring to break up a pin tag team of all time. Every single match they have one of them where I think, oh, maybe it's going to happen. And then out from behind the camera comes one of them to break it up. Just every time, tremendous stuff. Uh, Great match. Loved it. And I don't think I really had anything else to add except for, uh, I don't know if you said this in the recap, but there were some We Want Sammy chants. I I did not say that, nor did I hear it. From the crowd, yeah, which was notable because Sami Zayn specifically does not uh, do shows in Saudi Arabia. Not only does he not do shows in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia won't allow him to do shows in Saudi Arabia. Yes, Um, he's his background. There's a lot of stuff behind it. Certainly understand. uh, Yeah, uh, Sami's stances on things, whether they're his choices or not. But uh, it was it was a nice reminder that, you know, I don't think we've said blood money in the sand on this episode yet, but I did on the uh, intro. I said it one time. Yeah. OK, yeah. So we obviously we've said every single time they do this. We don't like that they do these shows. Correct. It's 50 million dollars from these shows every single time. Better than by far any WrestleMania. The press conference leading up to the to the show was not great. Some of the things that WB Triple H were saying and showing about the kingdom of Saudi Arabia in, in the in the um some of the people in charge and uh, yeah, it was just them chanting. We want Sammy was a reminder though, that a lot of the people at the shows are not the people who are in charge of the country. You, know, you have like, to, yes, you have to remember the fans and the citizens are not the ones in charge of the politics and yes, many of those decisions. Now it's not to say some don't agree with that. I'm sure there's plenty who do, but many, particularly the children, do not. And when you heard and saw the way, and we've said this every single time we've talked about one of these shows, we don't like it. We do call it blood money in the sand because that's what it is. Um, and you know, it's, it's difficult, right. To compartmentalize like covering professional wrestling and having fun and then where they're doing it and why they're doing it and who's paying them to do it and all that type of stuff. But the one thing that always breaks through when you see these shows, especially 
since the end of the pandemic, when they've had full crowds and and they've gone away from um, all those like where it was really thin up by ringside where they were like the high end couch seats and there were only like adult men mostly sitting in those spots with the occasional kid. Now that they're real crowds, the way these kids react to, to these superstars, they really buy into it and it means something to them. And it goes beyond the politics of the entire thing. So when you hear reactions like the one Logan Paul got on the show, the one Bianca Belair and some of the women, the reactions they got, mm-hmm. Asuka got an incredible pop. And yes, in this match as well is a really good example. Uh, the chance for We Want Sammy and all that. You remember that there can be a million things we hate about this show, but seeing the reaction on the kids' faces, it's just, that's never not going to be cool. Yeah, it just, it especially stood out with Sammy. We know these shows are used for basically propaganda in that yeah, country. But sports washing. The, yep. The, totally. the, the specifics of like, oh, people are liking Sammy. And, and it makes me wonder, like, will those kids or other people there who are into Sammy read up on his background and why he's not there and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, it was notable. I wanted to acknowledge that. What was also kind of cool is in that press conference, which I did not watch, I saw clips, but there one clip I saw was the fans there chanted, we want Sammy. And uh, Roman grabbed the mic and he's like, he's too good for you guys. Or it's like, it was something like that. He really put Sammy over. He got booed. And it was also kind of like fitting. Right. Like Sammy kind of Mm -hmm. is too good to go over there. Mm -hmm. So uh, credit to all of them for that. By the way, coming out of this Jay injury news, if it's real or even if it's not, tell me if I'm wrong about this. Sammy taking his place alongside his own brother. Right. It just completely writes itself, doesn't it? Like what an awesome piece of booking it would be if WWE allowed them to free bird the titles. And it's Jimmy Uso and Sammy Zayn as the Usos being the tag team champions. And eventually, obviously, Sammy can be the one to take the fall when they lose the titles. I'm just curious. What do you think of that booking? I, I think it's great. I mean, the fact that he came, that, that, that Jay came out for the final match would seem to tell you he's probably okay. Right? I don't know. I mean, he's, he's getting the MRI if if that's reality. I, I haven't seen a report saying it's kayfabe or saying it's reality at this point. Yeah, I was I guess surprised we'll keep- to see it, so. We'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. We'll talk about it Tuesday. Uh, We have a couple more matches left. Uh, The OC fought Judgment Day. Michael Cole fully name-dropped Bullet Club during the OC's entrance. That's the first time I believe that's ever happened in WWE, quote-unquote, Bullet Club. He also said uh, Carl Anderson was the current never-openweight champion. Now, they have mentioned the IWGP titles of New Japan before, but I don't think they've, they've never said it, I think, for a current champion. And Obviously, why would they ever do that? Because they don't have a current champion wrestling for them. Yeah. And that one was also notable because New Japan said, Carl Anderson, if you don't come to our show, which was on the same day as Crown Jewel, we're stripping you of the title. So well, I don't know the, yeah. I don't know the latest stuff. on that. No, no, they're kayfabing it. New Japan. That was kayfabe? Okay, yeah, I didn't yeah. know if that was real or not. No, he's going to defend the title. They, they both are, they kind of, it seems like they came to an agreement to both kind of, I'm not going to be there. Well, then you have to give up the title. I refuse to give it back. Kind of like a razor situation, you know. Where, and, but maybe, and also maybe saying New Japan Wait, championship on the show was part of that too. That might have been part of it. They where they need to acknowledge it. Yeah, that's yeah. certainly possible. That that's the case. Uh, but it was crazy just to hear those things. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Finn Balor uh, prevented an AJ Styles hot tag with an attack outside. Anderson caught Damian Priest with a spinebuster at the same time. Luke Gallows hit a pump handle sidewalk slam and Dominic Mysterio. Priest interrupted Magic Killer. Styles and Balor got the hot tags. Styles countered 1916 into a neckbreaker on his knee. 
Balor put in the figure four leg lock. Styles took him off the top with the superplex, while the OC guys did stereo electric chairs on Priest and Dom. That was the spot of the entire match. Dom distracted as Rhea Ripley pulled Styles off the apron while he was about to attempt a phenomenal forearm. Balor immediately hit a shotgun dropkick and the coup de gras for the win. Now, the finish with Ripley interfering and Judgment Day winning, is it repetitive? Yes, it's completely repetitive. But given the entire storyline is about OC finding someone to negate her advantage, it makes sense for that to happen again. This is exactly what we talked about on the Ultimate Preview. One more win for Judgment Day, and then OC finally evens the side. They're a heel faction, Judgment Day. This is how heel factions win matches. The six man, I thought, started slow. It picked up massively down the stretch. Overall, I thought it was really entertaining. 3.5 stars in a B. Yeah, it was solid. It was the result we expected in the finish that we expected. Uh, so that was all good. It was fine. Made sense. Rhea Ripley's um, look, awesome. hair. So cool. It was, she tweeted and posted on Instagram that it was to honor Beth Phoenix, rest in peace, <laughs> is, is, is what she wrote. So so that was a nice little uh addendum to everything so uh, hey it's kind of cool i got some breaking news from wwe logan paul announced on instagram he tore his meniscus mcl and acl against roman reigns he just exploded Uh, his knee apparently when on on the jump i have to assume the the landing on one of the jumps if it's real if it's real i don't think you can kayfabe that because that's an eight month injury that's you know you're out for right minimum six months you're not going to wrestlemania if you destroy your ACL. that's what i'm saying so there's no way that they would kayfabe meniscus mcl and acl because you're out you're not wrestling at wrestlemania and i have to believe the plan was for him to wrestle at wrestlemania uh yeah i would imagine too so i i guess that's Real, I'm. He could really you know, know what could, to think of it. He could have done it on the landing on the buckshot lariat. Oh, he just tweeted it. Let me see. Uh, happened halfway through the match. Keep y'all updated. I bet you it was so, on the buckshot. It probably was on the buckshot. This is what you get for saying he did it better than the <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're you're a thousand percent. When he landed, you know, you know, when he landed on that buckshot lariat, his momentum carried him forward. Because remember, you said he laid it in really strong on reins. Yeah, that may be he why he may have been him. falling forward. Yeah, when Hangman Page does it, he lands and then does the lariat. Really, when Hangman Page does it, the buckshot part of it is worthless. It doesn't. I mean, you, he lands on his feet and then he does a lariat anyway. It doesn't really. Provide but that's that much that's how you're supposed. But that's the safe way to do it, though. No, no, no. Of course, no, no. Hangman Page does it the <laughs> of course he does yeah. it the right way. He does it the best out of anyone who does. It. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the way Logan Paul did it, even though he hurt himself, but because he hurt himself. He used the actual momentum to provide the impact that you mentioned earlier. He really laid it in yeah. on him. Look, the, the lesson here—the lesson here is that nobody should do a freaking no one should buckshot lariat anymore. CM Agreed. Punk hurt his foot, led to AEW blowing up because he did that. No, and CM Punk got, hurt his foot diving into the crowd. He oh, re-injured the, himself. He I re-injured himself. Uh, okay, but but still, he he okay. I he, think. Yeah, he hurt it again. That was the hangman. Yeah, yeah. Still, CM Punk botched it. CM Punk botched it three times. He he should have never done it the first time. But he gets hurt doing it. Logan Paul likely gets hurt doing it here. How about we just don't do that move anymore unless you're Hangman Page? Honestly, and maybe if you're, (laughs) he has the dead eye. I don't know that he even needs the buckshot lariat himself. 
especially as he's getting older. But also really unfortunate news here uh, coming out for Logan Paul, assuming, of course, that it's real and not kayfabe, which I personally believe that it is. Um, One more note on this OC Judgment Day match. Uh, Before we move on, there was a great moment. I just want to point it out. Michael Cole screams, somebody's got to kick her ass when like Rhea Ripley was interfering. (laughs) And if you listen close, Rhea turns around and yells back, why don't you try it, Cole? So it's very (laughs) Bailey-esque. I just, I thought it was really, really funny. It popped me in the moment. All right. Drew McIntyre fought carrying Cross inside a steel cage. Cross's entrance was baller with tons of smoke, lights. There was even a drone show in the sky. The guy looked like a megastar during that entrance. McIntyre also got a drone show for his entrance. And I thought it was cool, too, that Jessica Carr was the referee for this match. Uh, McIntyre threw Cross backwards while hanging off the top rope. Cross countered Claymore with a falling Claymore-style knee for a near fall. Then he hit a Saito suplex for another. Drew ducked the cross hammer, hit a future shock DDT. He set up for a Claymore when Scarlett climbed on the side of the cage and distracted him. And it reminded me, Chris, of the MVP distraction at WrestleMania two years ago, where it's like, why are you even being distracted by that? (laughs) Yes. Did you, you have the same thought on that? I didn't have the same thought, but you, you bringing it up now, I agree. Yes. Yeah, so why yeah. would you be distracted? Like there's so many other things that she could legitimately distract you by doing, but just climbing on a cage that she can't get into. Who gives a shit? I thought it was weird. Uh, McIntyre escaped the cross jacket, but ate a cross hammer. Rather than get the pinfall after hitting his finisher, carrying cross starts climbing. McIntyre hit a huge superplex with Cross's body laying atop the cage. So it was really all the way from the top of the cage. It was definitely the spot of the match, one of the best spots on the entire show. Uh, Drew went for the door. Scarlett sprayed him and the official outside in the face with Mace. McIntyre stopped Cross from crawling out with an ankle lock and then hit a short-range Claymore on him that commentary completely missed. Like, he hit his finisher and commentary Mm -hmm. didn't even call it. Drew went for the door. Scarlett locked it, yelling, you can't escape, you can't win. So McIntyre starts climbing over the top. Then Cross comes to... Scarlet unlocks the door for him. Drew gets halfway down the cage, sees what's happening, decides to jump off, and he gets the win as Cross only got his body halfway across the steel steps. This was a really inventive finish. Now, do I wish it was a little bit more decisive for McIntyre? Yes. If commentary had sold the Claymore, it would have played so much better because then you could say Cross was knocked out for so long that McIntyre basically had enough time to win the match twice had it not been for Scarlet. They failed to get that over. Ultimately, we got the right winner. Cross didn't get pinned, which was probably the goal. And this was way, way better than their strap match. Were there a couple issues I mentioned? There were. But the superplex spot alone made this worthwhile. And I loved Scarlett, not just macing Drew, but macing the referee so that he couldn't do anything. I thought that was really freaking funny. So I went 3.5 stars and a B. This was a surprise for me. Yeah, it was fine. It was solid. It was what it was what it needed to be. If if you know WWE has the cage, or I'm sorry, has the door on its cage matches, which is always kind of weird. You think, well, why doesn't the face just do that instead of climbing? But this is how you get around that. You have somebody on the outside with the heel who won't let the face escape through the door. So the face has to climb out. The bad guy can go through the door. That's a good just basic foundation of how a cage match generally works and they did it like that and it worked it kind of made you wonder though like if you're hitting the claymore why not just go for the pin but you know like it was fine we drew mcintyre got the uh, uh got his win back cross is still fine he's he's not especially scary or explosive or he doesn't just 
doesn't really stand out as a as a wrestler yet. It's kind of really all Scarlet and the smoke and mirrors. But this was solid. It was it was fine. I think it was but like a B. And this was also reportedly a flu game for McIntyre. He was apparently really sick coming into it, but he refused to have the match called off. He demanded to wrestle. He said he was going to get through it. I assume this is coming just because he's been traveling his ass off. He went from the United States. I don't know where Sheamus's um, wedding was, but he was oh, a, yeah. a groomsman in Sheamus's wedding. Then he came here to do this. I think he did a lot of press for it as well. It puts Drew's performance in even greater perspective, knowing that he was seriously ill throughout the entire match. So credit to him, uh, friend of the show. Hope he feels much better. And last yes. year. Lastly also, here, actually, yeah. it looks like the wedding, the wedding, I think, was in uh, New York, actually. It wasn't in Ireland overseas? I'm looking at the pictures and they're in New York. I see the One World oh. Trade Center. Yeah. Oh, I, I just fully assumed he was overseas. I, that's shocking to me. Okay. Well, yeah, me too. he still did a lot of traveling and he wasn't on yep. TV this week. So still, I think it probably played into it. Uh, lastly here, Braun Strowman versus Omos. So on SmackDown, MVP hit the ring to announce five jobbers for Braun to fight. The idea was that Omos was already overseas promoting Crown Jewel. So Strowman entered. He just ran through the five dudes uh, on the entrance ramp. Braun then chased MVP, caught an attempted cane shot. He broke the cane. He hit three running power slams. The crowd loved it. Luckily, the spoilers I read were wrong. It wasn't a one-on-five match. <laughs> this could have been far worse. I actually found it pretty entertaining. Uh, I only saw a clip of this. I didn't see the whole thing. Okay. It was fine. It was yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to see it. It's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, Omas came out for the match in sharp new wrestling gear. I think really for the mm -hmm. first time, he mostly just wears black and this had some depth to it. Not nearly as generic as he's looked for basically the entire time that he's existed. He also had this kind of like hood that he wore that had a new logo on the chest. So, you know, I thought there was a chance that Omas was getting like written off and that Braun was going to beat him and he'd just go away, but clearly not. They're definitely doing something with him. And I think that's a good idea to probably your surprise, which we're going to find out why in a moment. Uh, Braun got a ton of smoke on the stage during his entrance. The presentation for both guys I thought was fantastic. They also had a tale of the tape on a graphic where it showed not only their weight and height and all that, but that they both have quadruple E shoes. So Braun's a 16 quadruple E and Omas is an 18 quadruple E. I thought that was hysterical. So the match started with a test of strength. Omas dominated the start, hit a huge boot, plus a surprisingly easy body slam of Braun. Braun failed clotheslining Omos over the ropes. It was kind of a botch, but he just reeled back and then forced his ass over them, which I thought was a really cool spot. Braun tried his charging train move, but Omos just swallowed him and no-sold it outside. Strowman avoided Omos charging with the giant bouncing out of the corner. Braun then caught him with his momentum, hitting a running power slam to get the victory in eight minutes. There's few matches in wrestling this year, Chris, that have surprised me as much as Braun Strowman versus Omas. And I'm being serious about mm. that. This was a freaking banger. Okay. It was easily Omas's best match, probably twice as good as his prior best match. He finally flashed that potential that you used to talk about before previously coming around to my side saying he just wasn't going to work. Yet we still got the right winner here in Braun. The finish made sense with the momentum being utilized as opposed to Strowman just like wearing him down and, and beating him. It protected Omas a little bit, I think you could say. It was just an absolute shock to me. It felt like we were seeing a 1984 WWE match in 2022 with guys twice the size that they would have been in 1984. And the crazy part above all that is that it held up. 
That kind of match worked in 2022. I went 3.25 stars in a B, and not just that, five full slabs of beef. We got two big meaty men bumping me, Chris, and it was glorious. This was great. I, I give it overall probably like a B plus, but in terms of like what it could have been, expectations, you know, it was an A in terms of, of everything it could be. Like right. I don't think they could have done much better than that. Like it, it was, it was awesome. It was everything I hoped for when they first announced it. Omos can do some special things, but he's. It, he he works better, I think. I think he works better with big guys. I, like the Lashley stuff was like okay, but like he's he he his speed is more noticeable against a bigger guy. His 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 strength, his height is more honestly noticeable when he's up against Braun Strowman, who looks like a tall guy among everybody else. So this was great. I could see them running this back at WrestleMania potentially. Um, I, I, we're not going to have the surprise factor anymore moving forward with this, but the finish was great. You got to see Braun do the big old power sign. It was super cool. And yeah, look, the build was not great, but we all we wanted was just two giant dudes ramming their meat against each other. And that's exactly what we got. And it was fun. It, it was fun. Would have liked this. This could have, this would have been a great, WrestleMania match if it was like the first one, like a not steal the show, but like a whoa, that was way better. That's going to like raise the intensity of the event as opposed to throwing it together a crown jewel. So I don't know what it means for anybody moving forward, but on this show, it was terrific. It was. And that brings us to the final segment here on our WWE crown jewel, blood money in the sand, instant analysis. And that is our post show grades. And just a reminder, let's talk about what the pre-show grades were. Uh, we had you and I coming in with a B plus expectation and the listeners are getting overheads on our Twitter poll at getting overcast. They were clearly a B. I mean, one of the, the biggest majorities I've ever seen in one of our polls, it was a B for the pre-show expectation grade. Now coming out with our final grades for WWE crown jewel. I always tell you what the getting overheads, the listeners thought first, then Chris, you go. And of course I wrap it up. So this is what we got from the listeners. 44.4% thought this was an A show, 48.1% thought it was a B show, and 7.4% thought it was a C show. That averages out to like kind of like a 3.8, 3.9, which is a B plus. So the listeners thought this was a B plus. I actually find that kind of curious, and I'll explain why in a moment. But Chris, what is your final grade for WWE Crown Jewel? My pre-show expectation was a B plus, and I am going to stick with it. B plus. It was fun. Pretty much every match was worth watching. Nothing was terrible. Uh, but ultimately, outside of the women's tag, barely, nothing really mattered. There were no title changes, no big stunning surprises, turns or anything. We got the women's title change, but it changed to what it was a week ago. So it kind of doesn't almost really count. I'm going to go with a B plus. I got to say, I think you and half the listeners are a little bit crazy here because um, I just broke down every match on that card. And, and the final grade is not a, a sum or an average of the match ratings. That's, that's not how it works. But okay, while your point is fantastic and accurate that 
it did seem that a lot of things didn't really matter, particularly the main event, right? Uh, We knew Roman Reigns was going to win. We knew Logan Paul wasn't. And also the first match too, there were stakes there with Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley. But at the same time, uh, it was pretty clear that Lesnar was going to win. And what they gave us wasn't some big decisive win where now the feud is over. To your point, it's going to probably create a rubber match, which means that this one didn't particularly matter that much. That said, I have to go with overall entertainment value of this entire show. There were no down points in terms of matches. There were no finishes where that were just bullshit that I looked at them and I was like, oh, I can't believe they did that. It's terrible. What a wrong move. That doesn't make any sense. The storyline sucked. That didn't happen one time. And then on top of that, the work rate was extremely high. I think I said I had three A matches and everything else was between a B plus and a B minus. That's an in an A range show for me. And I'm not going to go crazy and say it's an A, but do I side with it being like a 91 or 90 out of 100 instead of a 89 or 88? You bet your ass I do. This was an A minus show. Uh, shocking to me that this was, again, one of WWE's best shows of the entire year. But, you know, there's a lot of times when we watch these shows and there's NFL going on or college football, we're otherwise distracted. And sometimes that can really affect your enjoyment level. I've never been more distracted watching a WWE premium live event before. I mean, it took me like two hours longer than the show runtime to actually finish it. And yet every single time I hit play, I was very impressed and entertained by what I saw. So for me, this is clearly on the A minus side over a B plus. Um, And I was just, I thought it was great. Logan Paul completely exceeded expectations. I loved the development from a character standpoint with Roman Reigns and even the Bray Wyatt stuff. Again, it was my favorite thing that he has done thus far since returning to television. You know, not counting all the White Rabbit stuff. I thought it was really good. A minus for me, B plus for you, B plus for the listeners. Anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? Yeah, I think, you know, compare this to Clash at the Castle, another early day international show on during college football. And that was one of my favorite shows of the year that also had nothing that really mattered. Maybe I was too distracted today, even though I was literally at a game for the other one. Uh, This one just didn't. It was fine. I enjoyed it. It just it didn't click with me as much as something like Clash at the Castle did, which I think was a comparable show. It was fine. It was good. Um, I guess, lastly, I hope that Logan Paul is okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I, I'd love to say I hope he's okay, but <laughs> if you tear your meniscus MCL and ACL, you're not okay. I mean, it's just as simple as that. So he said, he, re- he said maybe, he, furthermore, he did say maybe ACL, which is a big oh, one. So fine. We'll that see. is a big one still, but the other two are, are super freaking important in terms of stability and being able to walk and, and, yes. and professional wrestle on top of everything else. Uh, but nevertheless, very impressive. Shout out to Logan Paul. You know, we, ne- we never do this, but just really briefly, because I'm wondering if it is him. Who is your MVP of the entire show? Um, or your standout performer. MVP is the wrong word. It like st- when, I, when I, when I, like when I, I do this after every pay-per-view, when I look back, what is the, the moment or the person or the thing I'm going to remember from this show, it is Logan Paul jumping off the top with the phone in his hand. Yeah. So I think, right. think I got to go Logan as the MVP. I think it's that and the 2.99 false finish with Roman Reigns. Yes. From that. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. All right, folks. That was our instant analysis. Well, it was our not so instant analysis of WWE Crown Jewel, the penultimate premium live event for WWE in 2022. The turnaround is not going to be long. Later this month before November is out, we will be have full coverage 
of WWE Survivor Series War Games, which, by the way, because of a promo that occurred during the show, we did find out all the matches will indeed be five on five. That's why we mentioned it that way earlier mm. when we were talking about it. So we will be back in a few weeks talking WWE Survivor Series War Games. It's going to be a long title to keep repeating uh, with, you know, an ultimate preview, instant analysis, all that really good stuff. But what's coming up this week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast? Well, we will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE show. We're going to talk about everything else that happened on SmackDown. And trust me, plenty else happened on SmackDown, along with everything that goes down this Monday on Raw. And then a couple days later, we'll be back with our NXT and AEW show on Thursday. I appreciate Vintage Chris Vanini joining me once again for a very difficult uh, show, at least from a timing standpoint. And I appreciate all of you being patient and getting our not-so-instant analysis. We usually deliver right after shows go off the air. This one took a little bit longer. But allow me to remind you on the way out here of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings. Take a few extra moments. Leave a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell everyone why you love the show and why they should subscribe. And if you do, we will read that review right here on the podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, commentary, news, everything you want in terms of professional wrestling at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to all of you for listening. This is now the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.